looking forward to, to spending a few minutes with you in the Word. Hey, um, today we're gonna do, we're actually gonna begin a little bit different. Most um, Sunday mornings when we gather, we we start with a time of worship and we move into a time of teaching. But we have a special just kind of announcement that we want to just kind of share with with you, the church family, this morning. And so our elders are coming up here this morning. You guys give it up for our elders this morning as they. Um, man, we are, you, you might not know these guys, um, Todd and his wife, Stacy Rodewall. Todd's on my far side. Brent Baldwin, his wife, Lisa, here in the middle, and then Corey and his wife, Jen Barnett. Man, our church family, we are so blessed um, to have these guys as our, as our elders at our church. Um, and, and they're just amazing wives right beside them. Um, this, this morning, you know, what I hope to, to do is a couple of things. What I, what, what I want us to see is, you know, this is an opportunity to get to know them just for a few minutes, but also to kind of hear their heart and some exciting things that are coming uh, around the pipe. But I want you guys just to know that, that these men and, and their wives, they are just the most godly, um, the most God-fearing, the most Jesus-loving, spirit-led people. And like these are just trustworthy men and their wives are trustworthy people and we're blessed to have them. You know, elders, if maybe you're new here or maybe you've been a part of our church family for a while, they play an important role in, in any church family, but really in our, in our church family of, of leading and encouraging and strengthening and equipping the body. And to just give us a brief little context for, for our eldership, you know, our, our church family, we're going to be 14 years old coming this upcoming fall. And, and for the first 10 years as a church family, we actually had um, an external board, other people from other churches that kind of oversaw us. And so, you know, if Dave's preaching something wacky that we had accountability or if they were doing some, if we were doing something funny with the finances, there was oversight there. And so we structured things from the very beginning in a way that, that others could watch out for us overseas us, protect us. And then four years ago, we had the joy of appointing our own internal elders, people from within our own church family. And so we started really small with these three, uh, these three leaders. And we did that really intentionally because we wanted to create a really healthy and beautiful culture within the eldership. And, and, and it's easier to do that when it's small, to get things right when it's small. And one of the things that I love about these three men is getting to walk with them, spend time with them the past four years, is that they over and over again talk about, man, the importance of creating a healthy eldership that far outlives them. And that's so important that they're not just thinking about them, they're thinking about the next generation and the next generation that our church is set up from an elder standpoint to thrive in the future. And so today I'm excited. We're gonna, I, I've got a question I'm gonna ask each of these guys um, to just kind of process. And, and part of this is that you guys can get to know them and to you know their hearts a little bit better. Hopefully you'll get the opportunity to do that over the next year, few years. Um, but also to just kind of share some information. But before we get into some of the things that are coming down the pike, Todd, I'd love for you just to share, you know, what is something that, that you love about our church family, something that you have just seen over the past four years that maybe not everyone else in this room would get to see? Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Uh, as I thought about this, this question, many, many things came up and came to mind, but really two rose to the uh, forefront. Uh, the first is that you know we get a pretty unique view behind the scenes, so to speak, and just to pass along from the three of us that uh, the pastors and staff that uh, you see here every Sunday and sometimes during the week, uh, what you see is what you get. They're just such humble servant leaders. 
um, and, and just truly authentic. So we, we just wanted to pass that along. It's just so refreshing that, you know, what you see on Sunday is the same on Tuesday and, and Thursday night and Saturday night as they're called to, to something. So um, what you see is what you get. And, and that's really refreshing and not always the case. The, the second is kind of along those lines is, you know, we're, we're able to, to witness and, and see and hear a lot of details of how you all, our church body, are out living that, living on mission together, um, you know, not just as Sunday Christians, but Monday through Saturday, right? That's our goal is that we're living it uh, beyond just the hour and a half or, or whatever it is that we're worshiping on Sunday. So, you know, that goes from just putting yourselves out there to those that are in the midst of some tragedies, which is, um, you know, we've unfortunately been in uh, a lot of late, uh, but then just in times of need of just giving and serving and um, Sunday morning being part of the volunteers and our global and city missions and, you know, just constantly how we see that. So, um, you know, but even beyond that, it's just seeing so many of you just continuing to pour in and just dig deeper with your personal relationship with God. That's the most important thing to us. And, uh, you know, through small groups, through uh, individual prayer groups and discipleships. So it's just such, uh, been such a blessing for us to be a part of. Yeah, it's cool getting to see so many people that just love the Lord genuinely and to like get that unique perspective that you have. It's, it's beautiful. Um, you know, um, this is Brent Baldwin. Brent and his wife, Lisa, are amazing. And to give you a little context for a question I'm going to ask him, the way that we structured things when we set the eldership up at Ethos is that um, elders would serve for six years, and then the seventh year, they would kind of take a, re- a year to, to rest and a time to reevaluate. It'd give the elders just a, a time to go, hey, do I have what it takes um, in terms of physically or emotionally or mentally, you don't know this, but these guys give so much time behind the scenes, like personally, you know, to you, but, but really strategically kind of thinking about how to lead the church and love the church. They just give so much of their lives to you and they don't get paid a penny for it. It's all for free that they do because they love this church family. But so it's, it's a lot. And so every seven years, we want to give the elders a chance to go, hey, you know what? I actually need to, to take a step back for, for several years. Um, but it also gives the, the body a, a time to, to reevaluate and go, man, if someone served for six years and God forbid this happens, it's not happening here. I hopefully it will never happen in our church. But an elder gets in and something turns in their heart. They become unhealthy. It's a really natural exit, a, a way for us to kind of remove elders that don't need to be there. And so it's this really healthy system of, of six years serving and a year off. And so, you know, um, one of the things that Brent kind of shared with, with the elder team earlier this spring was that he and Lisa um, were feeling like they needed to kind of pull back this next year to take a step back from, from being an elder. And it's not because of unhealth, it's the exact opposite. And so I wanted Brent to kind of speak into that a little bit this morning. What's kind of what's factoring into you guys deciding and then speaking a little bit about how the, you hope this sets a precedent for going forward. Uh, when when Lisa and I were looking at the year ahead and praying about it, a couple of things just kept coming to mind. And one is that uh, our youngest will be entering his senior year of high school. So we have one year left with him. And then uh, the other thing is that we, we have aging parents who live in three different states. And our, our both of our uh, older brothers have been bearing the weight there of of some of the care and the things that are needed for them. 
So we felt the need to to begin um, being more available for those for those things, and so we thought this is this is actually the year that we need to rotate off. And I, I use a, the word rotate intentionally. Um, in in some churches, being an elder can can have the sense of a life lifelong commitment, and that sets up the scenario when 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 an elder feels the need to uh, step away from that it it can come with a stigma or send shockwaves through the church like there's a crisis in leadership so we we set this up in a way that that there could be a natural rotation for the for the health of us and for the health of you the body because you are a priority to us as well so we we love you all and um, we're going to be here, and we look forward to worshiping with you and continuing serving right alongside you. Yeah, Brent and Lisa are incredible, and we're super bummed that, that they're going to be stepping back. And the reality is Brent's going to keep serving, I think, through Labor Day, is that when we're going to try to transition. And so um, we'll have a time to celebrate and thank and honor Brent and Lisa for their service. And, um, you know, even before Brent shared this with the elders, the, they had been discerning that it was time to add to this group. And so um, as our elders, kind of the process for adding elders is, is pretty simple. You know, one is um, people from our church family, you can submit names of people that you think would be good candidates anytime. In fact, you've been able to do that for the past four years on our website. Um, and so that's a, a way of, of sharing someone that you think should be an elder. But these, these guys, um, what, what their role is, is to identify someone in our church family to interview and to vet them, to make sure that we're aligned missionally and theologically, and then to present the candidate to, to the staff and to the church um, to, for us to be able to speak into it, any concerns or to affirm the decision. And so today we're pleased to share that, that we're gonna get to, to present a couple that we hope is going to turn into becoming our next elder couple here as a church family. And so Corey, I'd love for you just to, to speak into a little bit about um, who we're presenting today. And then, you know, what was it about the interview process? Just share something about that stood out to you about that process. Yeah, we're real excited uh, to present to you our next elder candidate, uh, Dave and Drew Wilson. Uh, if you already know them, uh, that's no surprise to you. Um, they have been at Ethos for about five years now. And, um, you know, when we started considering, you know, what are the qualities that we are looking for in our, in our elders, uh, one of the things that we were looking for are people that are already doing the work of shepherding. And if you know them, then you already know that they're, they're true shepherds at heart, whether they're pouring out their lives for, for, young, for young adults or, or families or opening their home up. Um, they've already been doing the high calling of shepherding people. Um, Drew is one of our uh, staff members, and so her life has been on full display, you know, five days a week. And her character, her love for God, her giftings, um, it, it's, it, it's an obvious fit. Dave is a local leader here uh, with uh, Search Ministries. Um, that's a discipleship ministry that, uh, whose mission is to take people on their next step with God. It primarily focuses on the workplace, um, and uh, he brings a wealth of expertise and what it means to engage the culture with the gospel. And it's one of the things we're really excited about is just leveraging that um, as we live on mission together. Um, you know, as, as we've uh, gotten to know them better, it, it's become very clear that 
you know, they're, they're a family, a strong family. They, they're a strong marriage. They love each other. They have a great friendship. Um, uh, Dave is, is approachable, relatable, funny. Um, he's the kind of uh, person that can take complex truths and make them very relatable and, and receivable. And, uh, you know, as we were asking and uh, questions during the interview process, and, and we asked, you know, uh, if you're feeling this call, calling to be an elder, you know, why? And, and one of his answers that really struck us all, struck me personally, was like, it was when he said, you know, we just want to finish well. We're, we're, we're not, we're, we're, we're wanting to persevere to the end. And, and that's the kind of people we want to, uh, to lead us. So it's super easy to make this recommendation. Uh, we love them. We know you're going to love them too. So. Yeah. So if you don't know Dave and Drew, um, man, I'm excited for you to get to know them. And they're the same caliber and character and heart as these three guys and their wives. And so super excited. Um, here's what, so we're sharing this with you so that you're in the know, but also we'd love to hear back from you. And so I think there's going to be a slide that's thrown up with an email address. You know, we would love for you to speak into this, that, to either let us know, like, hey, man, we support this. We know them. We've seen the fruit in their lives. Or on the other side of this, and I don't anticipate getting any of these, but if there's, if there's something that concerns you about them or if there's something that you've seen, and again, we've done a lot of vetting and don't think anything's going to surprise us, but the reality is we don't know everything and see everything, and so we, don't, we want to allow the church family to speak into this, and so we'd love to hear back from you for the next two weeks, and that will kind of be the next step in the process before we appoint them as, as our next elder couple. And so here's what I want to invite us to do. I want to invite everybody to stand up. I want to invite Dave and Drew to come forward. You guys help welcome Dave and Drew. Just I want you guys to see their faces. So you guys could, if you don't know them, get to know them, be seeing them around. Man, we're so thankful for y'all. So thankful for who you are and excited for today. Corey, do you want to pray over them? And uh, it'd be awesome. Lord, we're so grateful for this, this point, this, this moment in time. We're, thank you, we're, we're thankful for this gift that you've given us with the lives of Dave and Drew. We're thankful for, for the calling in their life, for their, their influence, for, for the way that they've blessed our body. And we just ask that you would bless this moment, that you would, that you would make a, a clear way, that you'd bring us all the wisdom that we need. And um, we entrust this process to you and we entrust them to you and to our body. And we trust you to lead us all the way through. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. You guys are awesome. You're welcome. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you all. Man, you know, this is, this is not typically how we start our Sunday mornings, that, but man, that, that we're a family. And, and so um, it's important that we talk about these things and we know what's going on and the ins and outs of our church family. Um, Today, we're going to be in John chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. John chapter 10. It's actually been really interesting for me. I had a really full week and kind of came into the weekend. And um, typically, Thursday is the day of of writing sermon. And um, Thursday, something unexpected came up. Didn't get to work on that at all. And so kind of went into the weekend and kind of thought of a direction that I was going to go. Got to spend a little time on it on Friday. Um, woke up yesterday morning and felt like, man, I think I'm supposed to like, teach something different. 
than the direction I've originally thought. And so, you know, really prayed about it yesterday and, and, and leaned into it. And so, you know, kind of felt like this morning need to kind of go a different direction. And if you're wondering, that is not a fun feeling for a preacher to um, wake up on Sunday morning and be like, yeah, I've got to go a different direction than I originally anticipated. Um, and so I'm telling you that for a couple of reasons. Um, there's sometimes when we teach and man, we've just had a lot of time to think about it and it's, it's easy to digest and it's polished. And I'm just telling you, it's probably not going to be one of those Sundays today. And, and, and I encourage you, man, to really lean in. Um, and I really believe that, that you're here this morning, you're looking for something. And if you will lean in, if you will listen, I believe that God has something specifically for you. And for me, and so I'm excited this, this morning to jump into John chapter 10. You know, I want to start here. Um, it is a powerful thing to be wanted. Amen. And I remember as a kid on the playground, you got the two captains, you know, for capture the flag or kickball or whatever it is. Man, and isn't it true that, that you just so desire to, 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 for your name to be called out? <laughs> Man, there's something that happens when someone looks at you and says, I want you on my team, right? And that's a, kind of a childish thing. Maybe some of you are scarred because you didn't get picked. I'm sorry for using that example as a kid. But you think about the, the way this works all throughout life. Maybe for you, you're just incredibly intelligent and you had all these universities that were pursuing, hey, we want you to come to school here. Or maybe it was you got into the work world and you're really, really good at what you do. You're a good musician. You're good at computer programming. And someone looked at you and they came after you and said, we want you to work for our company. Or maybe the person that you're sitting next to, you had a moment where, where they walked across the room and they said, man, I want you. And there's something that, that resonates deep in the human heart when someone looks at us and says, I want you. There's something that speaks to us deeply. That, that you matter, that you are significant, that you have something to bring, something to add. And what I love about Jesus is that he makes it abundantly clear that he wants us, that we are valuable to him. And I love that, that Jesus, he made the first move towards us. You realize that? You know, if there was one verse that encompasses how Jesus feels about you and me. I don't know if there's a better verse than the one we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 10, verse 11. And all day yesterday, I was thinking about this verse that was just clinging around in my head back and forth. And this is a passage of scripture that we're going to be just honing in on this morning. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, we're in a, the middle of a series that we are calling Experiencing Jesus here at Ethos. And all summer long, we've been looking at different characteristics and different aspects of Jesus. We've been studying him. We've been looking at him so that we can know him. And today, for a few minutes, what I want us to hone in on is this idea of Jesus, our good shepherd. You know, we are, we are constantly, I think this is true, we are constantly trying to make sense of God and what God is doing in the world. We're constantly trying to make sense of the world around us. We're, we find ourselves trying to process and reconcile what we know to be true about God and what we see happening in the world. You know, some of you, you come here this morning and, and you have no problem viewing Jesus as the good shepherd. 
But others, maybe you come here this morning and, and you're looking at the hard things going on in your life or your best friend's life or your family or in our city or in our country, and, and you're really wrestling with this reconciling. Man, how can Jesus be a good shepherd and yet let these things be happening around us? You ever wrestled with that? Are you currently wrestling with that? You know, uh, yesterday I was reading this little devotional book that I love to read. It's called My Utmost for His Highest by this guy named Oswald Chambers. And this is, a, this is what he writes. He says, there are times when God cannot lift the darkness from you, but trust him. God will appear like an unkind friend, but he is not. He will appear like an unnatural father, but he is not. He will appear like an unjust judge, but he is not. You see, what I realized is that I do this and, and we do this. Man, we, all the time, we're trying to make sense of the things that are going on around us. And the problem is so often we misdiagnose what's actually going on. And here's what I mean. So often things will happen in our lives and we instantly with our rational minds start trying to figure out, well, why did this happen? Why did this bad thing happen to me? Is it because some sin in my past or is it because of some family sin or is it because, you know, what, what is God punishing me for? Or maybe it's the opposite that something happens and you start to, to misdiagnose. You go, man, if this happened, it must mean that, that God is powerless or that God is unconcerned or disconnected. And see, we do this all the time, we're trying to make sense. We're trying to reconcile the things that Jesus says about himself and the things that are going on in the world around us. And the problem is that so often we misdiagnose it. Here's what I mean. A few weeks ago, I was reading um, bedtime routine in our family is I'll get, get the kids in the room and, and we'll, read a, we'll read a little from the Bible. And so a couple weeks ago, we were reading the story of Noah in Genesis chapter six and Noah's family. And in that story, we're given this detail that, that the Lord is, is actually in the storm, that God is actually in the flood. He's in the lightning. He's, he is in the storm itself. It's interesting because a few days later, I'm, I'm reading in the book of Job with my kids. And it says that, that another storm came, and the storm came, and it's super tragic. It actually came, and it, and it killed all of Job's 10 kids. And Job's friends come to him, and they're not very good friends because they come and they're like, man, what have you done that God would send this storm to, to destroy your kids? And the reality is, what you see is that in Job, God wasn't in the storm. You know who was in the storm? You know who was behind the storm? You know who was behind the killing? It was the enemy. And guys, we do this all the time in our lives, that, that we put things on, on God that are actually the enemy's doing. We misdiagnose things all the time. And I'm telling you this because I want us to understand in every circumstance in life, as God's people, we must learn to let the truth teller's truth be true. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, even when we don't understand what's going on around us, man, we let the truth tell us truth be true. The most compelling thing about Jesus, at least maybe this is a season that I'm in or the season that I've been in, is that Jesus himself, when he came to earth, he did not exempt himself from suffering. We have a, we have a suffering savior. 
he stepped into it. He experienced it. He subjected himself to feel the hardness of life and let down. And I love this about Jesus. And the second part of what Jesus says here in John chapter 10, verse 11, it really helps us both on a mind and a heart level understand why he actually is a good shepherd because this is what Jesus says. I'm the good shepherd. And the kind of shepherd that I am is that I lay down my life for the sheep. And let those words just linger in your heart and your mind. Most of us, if I'm guessing, especially this crowd, um, most of you probably don't live on a sheep farm, right? Like, um, you didn't grow up with sheep. You don't have a pet sheep that you're going to go home to and, and, and take that to the sheep park later today to play with other sheep. Like most of us, like this is kind of a disconnected analogy, right? But in the first century, man, this would have hit home. But what we can acknowledge is that there is something profound and, and our hearts feel something when, when we really wrestle with those words that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You don't lay down your life for something or, or for someone just for any and every reason. No, you, you give your life to that which matters deeply to you. It's why some of you, man, you're in a job that you love. And, and, and it's not a burden for you to wake up in the middle of the night and to think about work. And you don't mind working hard. You don't mind working 50 hours, 60 hours a week. You don't have a problem sacrificing for your job. You don't have a problem making less where you could be doing something at a different company, making more. You don't have a problem for doing that because, man, you love your job. It matters to you. And so you give of your life for this thing. I was thinking about my friend, Garrett Bjork. And if you've been tracking with us, you know, in early June, Garrett and his family, he's a part of our church family, they're at the nine o'clock. Garrett had a skateboarding accident and he's been in the hospital since June 1, had a traumatic brain injury. I got to spend some time with Garrett this past week and it's amazing just seeing the way that God, I mean, he was in hospice, unresponsive, and on Thursday, I'm sitting with him in, in full sentences. He just remembers things and he's talking and he's getting up and it's just incredible what God's doing in his life. His journey's not over, but God's doing something special there. And as I was thinking about Garrett, one of the things that has really stood out to me is watching his wife, Kelly, and watching his best friend, Jeremy. You know, Garrett being at Stallworth, it's a rehab facility here in Nashville. Maybe some of you guys work there. In order to be at Stallworth, at least for the first week, and this was leading up to this, you had to have 24-7 care. Someone from your family or friend had to sit by your bed around the clock. And it has been amazing watching Kelly and Jeremy for the past, you know, 42 days be by his side. And it's not a burden Man, you, you set things aside. You put things on pause, man, because this matters to you. And I love what Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, this, this laying down of his life, it wasn't confined to just one moment in Jesus' life. And so often, man, we think about the cross. No, laying down his life for the sheep was the marker of his entire life. 
Jesus laid down his life for us. Man. He came from the Father. He was there in the very beginning. He created all things. He came to this earth, and, and, and think about this. He could have lived however he wanted to live. Man, he could have spent his time on earth building up a business. Man, going after the, the, the fanciest new, you know, whatever version of car it was back then, the fanciest new horse in town or whatever it was, he could have spent his whole life chasing this goal, you know, trying to build a house, trying to whatever it was. And his, his heart, what you see in Jesus' life is what mattered to him. And what mattered to Jesus was us. At every turn, in every decision, in every interaction, the good shepherd laid down his life for us. And this is significant for for many reasons, but two that I want to just kind of hone in on today, man. The first is this. It reveals how he feels about you. And you matter to Jesus. To Jesus, you were worth living and dying for. Wow, to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty Creator. You know, so this morning I go, man, these are some heavy things. But some of you, maybe this morning, you, you feel overlooked in life. Maybe you come here, you feel unimportant, unvalued. Maybe this morning you're wrestling with suicidal thoughts feeling insignificant, I go, man, the perfect son of God. And one day you're going to stand face to face and you're going to feel the fullness of his affection towards you. But the son of God thinks you were worth his life. And guys, it's incredibly personal. And when you leave it at, at arm's distance and, and when you make that just this, this general thing for the crowd and you don't let it come all the way in, that no, Christ died. He laid down his life for, for you, Ryan, for you, Lacey, for you, Noah, for you, Aaron, for me. We, we, we find and we draw our worth on what Christ has done for us, not just what he says of us. You look at the life that he lived. I was reading this book many years ago called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And in it, he tells a story, and I might have some details jumbled up, but I think it was him in, in the middle of combat, in the middle of war, that he's, he's in the middle of the battlefield with one of his friends. And at the, this, this moment, an, an, an enemy goes, targets in on him and, and, and fires a bullet. At the very last minute, his friend jumps in front of him. And his friend dies. And, and he goes on to say that, that Brennan goes to visit his, his friend's mom. And, and he asks her, hey, do you, do you think my friend loves me? And she said, he, he took a bullet for you. Of course he looked. What else do you need to know? And I go, I wonder how many of us, man, we're, we're wrestling with. Man, God, how, how does God feel about me in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my rebellion, in the midst of my running? He laid down his life for you. 
Man, I love this, this verse, the good shepherd. It, he reveals to us how he feels about us. But, but in this, it also reveals this, this truth. And I think for some of us, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable truth. It's a truth that we haven't maybe come to, to reality with yet. And this is it, that if, if Jesus laid down his life for us, it means that our life was in danger. There was something that was threatening us. My family, we live next to six acres of woods that, that my neighbors own, and they're so gracious to us. They let us go in our, and explore the woods, and our kids just have a blast playing in it. And, and it's so fun to live next to these woods. We get to see all kinds of wildlife this time of year as all the deer, all the male deer, their, their, their antlers are growing out of their heads. And it's just this amazing process. Every day, you see these antlers just getting bigger. You see baby fawns being born, like literally in our backyard. We've seen foxes, and we hear owls, and, and it's fun being surrounded by wildlife. Wildlife, but, but the downside to living next to so much wildlife are other animals. And one, one animal in particular, I was mowing several years ago and I, and I see something moving around in our, in our bushes and I get off and it's this four foot long snake. And something you need to know about me is I, you know, I'm not okay with any snakes. And in fact, um, snakes don't have a good track record at our house. We've had three snakes and three snakes have all died. And so if, if you're trying to live, our yard's not a good place for you. And, 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 and so I'm watching these snakes slither around in these bushes, these bushes where our kids play. And, and I just realized, man, when, when, when something is threatening my kids, I go and deal with it. And even if that snake is hissing at me, it looks like it's going to bite me. Man, I, 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 I'm laying it down to take care of my kids. You know, here's a, the hard truth is that, is that although God wants us, although he looks at us and says, man, I, I, I want you. You matter. I want you in my family. I want you as my son and my daughter. The reality is that all of us at some point looked at the Lord and said, I want nothing to do with you. Man, each of us, man, we decided to go our own way. Man, we, we, we thought that we knew how to best live and structure our lives. And so each of us, and it looks different for all of us, but, but all of us have looked at God and said, we want nothing to do with you. We, we all disconnected our, our, ourselves from life itself. And the scripture talks about what happens when, when we distance ourselves from God, when we choose sin and rebellion in a heart of heart. It describes it as death. Eternal separation from God forever. And that's what's threatening us. That's a snake that's slithering around in the bushes. And I love Jesus' response because when, when he sees us in this predicament, it wasn't him pulling back and going, that's what they get. That's what they deserve. They had their choice. No, what you see is that when something was threatening us, Jesus entered to do something about it. And the most unfair exchange that could ever be possible happened when Jesus came. That, that the disobedience and the hard-heartedness and the rebellion and the, and the giving the middle finger to the Lord and us just running from God, what that deserves is the wrath of God. Whether you have come to terms with that or not, that, that choice, that separating from God deserves punishment and consequences and rebellion. And Jesus willingly, he willingly came and he took our punishment. It's not that he just took our punishment. He gave us his reward. 
So the reward for a perfect life, never sinning, always remaining connected to the Father, always in every circumstance doing what the Father asks, never being jealous, never being lustful, never being arrogant, never being prideful, never having a moment where he loses his temper. Jesus, the perfect son of God, what he earned is, is the fullness of life with God forever in heaven. He, he earned it all. He earned to dwell in the presence of God forever. And the most unfair exchange happened when the good shepherd laid down his life for us. That because of Jesus, we deserve wrath and punishment, and what we get is eternal life, access to the Father. Man, you couldn't get the president of Vanderbilt on the phone if you wanted to right now. Well, maybe you could. I don't underestimate you. You guys seem like a driven group. You probably could. But the king of the universe, anytime, anywhere, he's always listening. You have the 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 presence of God inside of you and the spirit. You have the power of God with you. You have eternal life to look forward to with God forever, unhindered, without the enemy. And I go, think about this exchange. Think about what Christ has given to you. And we know that that death was not the end of Jesus, that three days later he rose from the dead out of the grave. He ascended to the Father where he is in heaven right now. He is preparing a place. He is going to come back and return for us that we will see him. And and as a a people of God, man, as we we think about the good shepherd, man, there's a couple of responses. We can hear this and and just let it be like anything else and just kind of bounce on our heart and not do anything But the other response is to go, man, what kind of a shepherd would lay down his life for me? And how valuable must he think I am? And that type of of laying down of a life is meant to be reciprocated. That type of love, if it is, if it is not mutual, if there's not this, this mutual laying down of your life for Jesus because you understand, man, your, your, your heart's not caught up with what he's done yet. And so often my heart isn't caught up with what he's done. Man, but when you feel it, when you see what Christ has done, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15 says that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Some of my very favorite passages in scripture draw on this idea of Jesus, the shepherd. Psalm chapter 23, I love it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He refreshes and restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, some of you this morning, you need, to, you need to come back into life with the good shepherd. 
and you've, you've not been dwelling with a good shepherd, that, that your life has not been marked by, by dwelling beside streams of calm water, that, that you've not been living from this place of a restored soul. And if you're being really honest, it's for some of you, not all of you, it's because you've, you've not been giving the shepherd the ability to lead your life. And this morning, I want to encourage you. We're going to take communion here in just a few minutes. And I want you to wrestle with, man, what is the Lord asking me to do? Is my soul at rest? Is is Jesus actually my shepherd? Am I reciprocating the love that he has for me? Another passage that's super familiar that I, that I love is a passage in Luke 15 that's also seen in Matthew chapter 18 of Jesus describing what the Father is like. And he says, the Father, what we're like is, is like a good shepherd that has 100 sheep and, and one sheep leaves, the, ni- and leaves the, the 99. And it says that the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes looking for the one. And some of you this morning, man, you're a sheep that has been found. You're a sheep that's been restored. You're a sheep that's been rescued. And the thing that God is stirring in your heart is, is to go with Jesus looking for the lost sheep. Now, some of you are wounded right now and you're hurt and, 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 and that's, that's coming. Some of you need to be tended to. Your hearts need to be restored. Some of you, man, you are fully alive with God and, and you're scared or you're anxious, but God is going, come with me. There's so many lost sheep in this city and in our country and in the world. And, and, and I'm asking you, will you come? In a communion, you're going to have a chance to kind of wrestle with whatever it is the Lord is stirring for you in your next step. And so this morning, man, I really want us to, to think about Jesus, our shepherd, but I also really kind of felt in my heart the importance of talking about how the Lord has structured our church family and his church. You know, when, when Paul, who was a first century missionary, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, when he would establish churches, he would go into a village where people did not know Jesus and they would give their lives to him. They would be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He would establish these churches. He would bring them together and he would appoint elders to oversee these Christians. Their job was to watch over the Christians, a, a, a word that is used to describe elders, another term is the word shepherd. And very practically, what shepherds would do, what elders would do for a church family is that they would keep bad theology from getting in. Theology that, that you know, is just the, the idea of beliefs about God, what we believe about God. And the shepherds would, would stand guard and they would go, hey, that, that teaching, that book, that podcast is actually demonic. That's not from Jesus. Um, that's not right. That's not in tune. They would help the body decipher, man, what is God doing and what's the enemy doing? Where has it been diluted? Elders would, would encourage the body. They would build up the body. They would, they would call out people in the, in the family when, when they weren't living out their faith and they would call them up higher. Elders would strengthen and they would protect and they would lead people into deeper places with God. And I'm gonna tread lightly here that in a city like Nashville, I'm not saying this is true about you or any other churches in particular, but man, if 
it, it, it is so easy. If you don't like something about a church, it is just so easy just to leave. Go find another church. And there are most certainly good reasons to leave a church, okay? Hey, but I want you to think about this. When you really think about it, don't you want to be a part of a church that is alive to God? That's, in list, that, that's listening to the Lord, that's in tune to what he is saying and doing. Deep down, don't, don't you want to be a part of a church that if, if your theology gets off, man, if, if, if your thinking or your living starts to be inconsistent with the life of a follower of Jesus, man, if you start to get off track, if you start to become distracted and to start to, to get caught up in the ways of the world, don't you deep down want to be someone under authority? To let someone speak into your life, keep you on the narrow path, consequently saving your soul? My son the other day, I have an eight-year-old son, and some, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I was asking him to do something, and he did not like what I was asking him to, to do. And so he says this to me, I'm just going to move out, Dad. And I'm like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to live in a camper. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, awesome. Well, we start talking, and I'm like, hey, buddy, you know, hey, in this house, you know, living under this house, you won't always get to live here. I'm kicking you out, you know, when you turn 19, you're out of here. But in this house, I'm going to protect you. You know, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to correct you when you're off about something. And I'm going to do that because I care about you. You guys, part of what it means to be a part of, of Jesus's church and part of what it means to be a part of our church is that, is that we understand that we are people who live under the authority of Jesus as our shepherd. That means that when we read the scripture and we, we read something that we don't like or something that doesn't initially strike us well, that steps on our toes, that is, is in contrast to how we are living our lives, it means that Jesus gets the authority, not that it's this buffet that we get to pick and choose from, that the shepherd gets to call the shots. But remember, he's a good shepherd. He's a shepherd that lays down his life for us. He leads us beside still waters. He is out for our good. Part of what it means to be God's people is that we live under the authority of Jesus, but it also means that we live under the authority of our shepherds here at Ethos. And let's just name it what it is, man. A couple things. And so many churches and church leaderships and have gotten off. And you could probably name several examples people that use their power and their influence, man, and maybe they started out good or maybe they didn't start out good at all, and it, but the enemy came in and, and, and there's something deep inside of, maybe not all of us, but some of us, that we are just so cynical and apprehensive about authority that we just assume that every, every elder, every leader is exactly the same, man. They're corrupt, they're sinful, they're chasing these things. And, and, and I wanna just caution us. I'm not saying that you're doing this. Man, but I want to cautious us of, of being suspicious 
of our elders here at Ethos. I want to caution us of, of, of just assuming that every leadership group is the same. And because one group did it wrong, we just automatically project that onto somebody else. That's not fair. We wouldn't want other people to do that to us. And so you have, you have this that I think the enemy is, is really kind of working to, to even create distrust, to even create this in, in us that we're apprehensive to, to, to follow, we're apprehensive to have leaders. And the reality is that we also live in a time where, isn't it true that, man, we don't want anyone to have authority over us. <laughs> no one gets to speak into my life. I want to do what I want, when I want. And guys, the problem comes when unhealthy patterns and beliefs and practices come into your life that because you shut yourself off, no one can help you. No one can speak into your life. I love what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says this. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Listen to this. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Whoa. There's a, there's a special accounting that Jesus is going to ask of our elders that he's not going to ask of you. And that should stir up some fear and trembling inside of us. The writer of Hebrews says this, do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. For that will not be a benefit to you. And this morning, man, the, the thing that I want to just share is that, is that our elders, man, they don't get paid a penny. First Peter, uh, or Peter in First Peter chapter five, he's writing to elders and he says to the elders, hey, don't lord it over them. And these men and their wives that were up here earlier, man, they are seeking the Lord. And they are, they're following the Lord and they care deeply about you. And this is not a, a title for them that they, that they wheeled around to subjugate the rest of us. No, they understand the accounting which, which they will give to King Jesus one day. They give themselves their time and their resources. And my encouragement to us, and this is gonna be hard, but we have to make the choice to willingly submit ourselves And we don't like that word, right? You can't coerce. You can't make anyone do this. But as a part of the body of Christ, man, we submit. We open ourselves up. We, we honor our elders behind their backs. There's a culture of honor in our church family that when our coworkers, when they interact with us, they go, man, I never hear them talking bad about their leaders in their church. And it's not that we're perfect. It's not that the, the elders have it all figured out, but that, that there's something about us where we honor our leaders and we pray for them and we understand the high call that God has for them. And for us, man, we, we submit and we trust that they're going to lead us. They're going to lead us into the green pastures. That they're going to give us this, bring us to a place where our attention and our affection is fully on the chief shepherd. One more word before we take communion. I want to just encourage you. Hey, just because 
you aren't up here today. Or, or, or just because you weren't presented as a, the next elder candidate, it doesn't mean you're not valuable. And, and don't let the enemy get in and, and tell you anything other than this. Man, your worth is in the cross. Your worth is in what the good shepherd's done for you. Every person here matters. You have a significant role, something unique that this body and our city needs. You don't need a title. And the Lord sees you. And he's filled you with the spirit and he's given you the ability to, to serve and to meet the needs around you and to tell your friends about Jesus and to pray. And you might, you might not ever be appointed an elder over a church family but it doesn't mean you're insignificant. It doesn't mean you're less than. In fact, you know, I was thinking about my family and our oldest daughter. You take Finley out of our family and we're not the same. There is, the, there is something that she brings and contributes to our family that no one else can. And I have an important role to provide and to protect and to, and to call out and to do things, but she has an important role. And in the same way, man, you have an important part to play in this family. And we're gonna submit to our elders. We're not gonna worship them because we already have an elder worth worshiping in Jesus. And as a church family, we, as we submit, man, as we honor, what we do is, is we, if we present to the world a very countercultural reality. And us coming under authority, it speaks so against the narrative of the world, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to the Lord Jesus, who matters most. It matters. It, it, it speaks to the world around us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite us this morning to, to go to the table, to get a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And I really want to encourage you with the people around you to wrestle with, man, what is stirring in your heart this morning? Maybe something from the text that jumped out at you, it stepped on your toes. Maybe God's inviting you to think about that friend of yours that is lost. And maybe your prayer this morning in communion is, God, would you send me to go find my lost friend who's wandered so far from you? And so this morning, whatever it is that God's stirring in your heart, I invite you to let him have his way. There are gonna be some men and women at the Respond banner. I would love to pray with you. Let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. God, thanks for this morning. And I pray, Father, that if there was anything that I said or did that was not an accurate and full understanding picture of you, that you let it be forgotten and forgiven, and that the things that are from you would, would stick and they would bear so much fruit in our lives and our church family. Be with us as we break the bread and drink the cup. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand right now. There are communion tables all around the room. Feel free to come back to your seat. Take communion to the people around you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you at the Respond Banner this morning.